Hello and welcome to this, the last episode of the Sustainable Futures Report for 2022. I'm Anthony Day and it's Wednesday the 28th of December. I hope you had a great Christmas celebration and that you'll enjoy New Year just as much. New Year, new planet. Well, we can't but hope. Next week, next year, uh, the first episode of the year, is an interview with Steve Long, director of the RIPE project at the University of Illinois, professor at the University of Lancaster and a fellow of the Royal Society. He explains his work on the development of food plants to be resilient in the face of climate change. After that, we have Paul Hughes working on batteries for industrial and marine applications, Hank Dearden with a new angle on planting trees, and Leonardo Zangrando, who's planning to sail round the world to encourage people to protect the oceans. That brings us to the 1st of February, when Clark Murphy explains the need for sustainable leadership, and after that I have to own up to how well I've managed my carbon footprint in the previous three months. But first, to this week's guest. In the final of our series on the management of waste, I bring you an interview with Peter Wang Yemdal of Repurpose Global. As I mentioned last week, his organisation aims to help you get your plastic footprint under control. The headline on the website is, Together, Repurpose Global's coalition is recovering £14,228,074 of plastic each year. Will you join us? While it's essential to solve the climate crisis, at the same time it's essential that we preserve a clean and habitable environment. No small task. But Repurpose Global is another organisation showing the way. Plastic is a wonder product, but at the same time plastic is a curse. It's one of the principal pollutants across all parts of the globe. Today I'm talking to Peter Wan Yemdal, co-founder of Repurpose Global. Peter, welcome. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate uh, this time and uh, looking forward to our discussion. Okay, Peter, in a couple of sentences, what is your organization's mission? Certainly, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, you already introduced me, uh, but just introduce myself again, uh, one of the co-founders and uh, chief advocacy officer at uh, Repurpose Global. And today we are the world's leading plastic action platform uh, dedicated to really um, making positive environmental impact accessible for companies across the world. Um, we realize that plastic as a problem has uh, risen up to be really not one of the top and one of the most uh, widespread environmental crises of our time. And, and behind that plastic pollution problem is the CPG industry or consumer packaged goods, um, an industry that is worth $5 trillion that is now almost single-handedly responsible for one of the worst environmental crises that we're facing today. Uh, and it sends over 120 billion plastic items into our nature every year. Um, where there's a real demand for companies to really take that action and really uh, you know, reduce their environmental footprint. And that's where Repurpose comes in, where we have developed a holistic and comprehensive plastic action ecosystem that enables organizations to measure, reduce, balance, and communicate their plastic impacts. Um, and we do that in different ways, right? So uh, first helping organizations 
measure their plastic footprint and analyze because you can't begin to act on what you can't measure. Then uh, we uh, help organizations activate their supply chains and re-gear them towards reducing virgin plastic by enabling the incorporation of recycled plastic from the environment into the supply chain in the first place. And third, through plastic credits, where inspired by carbon and the carbon volunteer carbon markets, we created the plastic credit markets, um, where uh, that an instrument that really enables organizations to support the verified recovery of plastic from the environment in the first place. And then finally, through certifications and credible trust, trusted certification that Repurpose offers that enables companies that do measure, reduce, and balance their plastic use to communicate that credibility and that consciousness to their stakeholders. Um, so really, holistically speaking, there's an ecosystem of, of solutions and ecosystem of innovations that bridge the gap between ambition and action uh, for companies, while at the same time, empowering and financing and scaling up the efforts of innovators and waste workers who are dealing with the consequences of our consumption on a daily basis across the world. Uh, so that's a little bit about repurpose. Happy to, uh, of course, dive deeper. Right. Okay. Well, um, it seems to me there is there are three points at which you can uh, address the amount of plastic which is getting into the environment. First of all, if you design a product to minimize the use of plastic. Secondly, if you have a collection within the production facility for any scrap plastic. And thirdly, there is the post-consumer plastic, which is just thrown away. So do you operate at all those three points? Right, Anthony, I think that's where, you know, where our thesis here is to create this ecosystem that enables companies to, to take action on every single part of the life cycle of where plastic impacts the environment, right? So helping organizations make better design choices, um, as well as incorporating materials to reduce virgin plastic, in addition to enabling companies to clean up the mess that they've already made uh, into the global, uh, in, particularly in the global South, where there lacks complete waste management infrastructure uh, that is required to handle the quantum of waste production and waste importing and exporting that happens so regularly in our uh, global economy today. Um, so we operate at all these levels um, because we think that there's no single silver bullet, single silver bullet solution um, to tackling the plastic waste crisis that we have in our hands today. So the only way forward is by creating, you know, a way that 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 organizations and those that are responsible for the problem to holistically take action on the problem at the same time. Looking at it from a practical point of view, you have a number of projects in developing countries where people are actually recovering and sorting and repurposing post-consumer waste. Can you tell us a bit about uh, one or more of those projects? Definitely. Um, and I think, um, you know, and looking at sort of the philosophy behind it as well, when we first started Repurpose, um, in fact, it was uh, less so even about the marine impacts or the conservation impacts of plastic, how my co-founders and my audience, Vanak and I, initially got engaged actually as a starting point as students uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, um, was thinking about how do we actually find solutions that double the income 
of millions of people living in extreme poverty uh, in urban slums across the world. And that was actually our initial entry point. And then, you know, we realized that waste workers and waste pickers, this was back in 2016, where, you know, this, this global consciousness that we've seen, that we have, that's taking place around plastic today was, you know, just a couple of years earlier in that sense. Um, and, you know, actually understood and found, found out that there are millions of people who engaged with informal recycling and waste working all across the global south. Um, and they're really the ones that are frontline and are solving the plastic problem day in and day out, but aren't getting the support and the appreciation and the finance, the assistance to be able to formalize those efforts and create broader and more deeper impact. Um, so that's really what was our entry point is how can we, you know, how can we catalyze capital towards projects, really amazing projects that are happening in local communities across the global south. And, and what does that look like? Um, and that was really was the kind of the original motivation behind the invention of plastic credits, where one plastic credit equals to one kilogram of plastic waste that uh, uh, companies and organizations can finance repurpose to remove from the environment, where we then take that capital from companies and put them into projects on the grounds. So now we have, we've got 11 projects running in uh, across six different countries. So in India, Indonesia, Kenya, Colombia, Ghana, and recently the Domin Dominican Republic as well, um, where we there's a few ways that we um, really create sustained impact on the ground. The main vehicle is really through project finance, right? So funding infrastructure pieces, right? Blocks of infrastructure, first mile logistics that is required for the effective handling of all kinds of waste materials, including plastic. And now I think this is a good moment to understand the crucial differences between the global north and global south, a country like the United Kingdom versus a country like India, um, where in the UK, you've got curbside collection. Every household, not, I mean, virtually every household, every commercial establishment has appropriate access to waste management services. Even though there's a lot of landfilling, a lot of incineration, the waste is at least collected in the first place. And now switch around, if you look at the global south, a country like India or a place like Goa, for example, which has been a bit tourist destination, right? Much similar to Bali, Indonesia. Um, a place like Goa, rural villages, right? Pristine natural, natural settings, but there's no, um, there's no organized collection efforts, right? You know, because of lack of finance from governments, lack of, you know, lack of you know, really initial capital um, to scale up. Um, so waste today in the status quo in much of in many places like Goa and India are being dumped openly into nature, into unmanaged landfills, being uh, burned openly as well to save space. Um, so what we're doing here at Repurpose uh, in a place like Goa is actually to, uh, in Goa, Kerala, many other you know, places in India, as well as the rest of the world, is to find, find the real estate, the trucks, the bailing machines, the equipment, the salaries, the wages, the technical assistance, the training, and all of the capex and the, the cap, capital expenditures and the operational expenditures of what it means to run an effective and efficient waste management collection and processing system. And then that waste, and then with that in mind, because right now, if you look at what's happening in the world, the reason why we can't solve our plastic problem is not because we don't have enough recycling infrastructure. It's because we don't have enough it, we don't have enough mitigation and collection infrastructure to make sure that 
to direct the plastic waste or the waste overall that is generated into the right streams. And, and once, and if we have that, um, you know, it actually empowers the circular economy and creates, recyclates, uh, you know, and, and gives the materials that is required to create a global circular economy. So that's a little bit of how, um, you know, how we work generally and happy to go into more details as well. So you're putting together a complete waste recovery system from the consumer's door, if you like, right through to a processing facility. And you're doing this, what, as a, as a non-profit organization? So uh, we have, uh, every purpose, we have uh, two different entities. Uh, we've got a, you know, a for-profit a public benefit corporation, and then we've got a non-profit uh, organization as well, uh, because we believe that, uh, you know, both vehicles have its own pros and cons or, you know, pragmatic, uh, you know, uh, pragmatic usage, right, uh, to attract private capital, uh, as well as to work with organizations in a, uh, in a different capacity. Um, and um, the way we do that is really, um, a little bit of a sort of a, you know, to use the analogy that maybe folks can uh, resonate with, a bit more of an impact investor, if, if that makes sense, right? Where we take capital from, um, you know, companies and brands uh, who are measuring, reducing, who are going plastic neutral, who are going plastic negative, for example. Um, and we're taking that capital and deploying it uh, into our impact partners uh, across the world, right? So we work with local entrepreneurs, innovators, because we don't believe in a, parachuting, parachute out kind of approach, right? We believe in partnerships to make sure that even if repurpose is not there, you know, because I think our goal, our end goal is for repurpose to finally go out of business, right? <laughs> and uh, um, to actually, to solve the problem. So there's actually no plastic waste in the environment. Um, so uh, we take a long-term approach to this conversation and partner with organizations that have the fundamentals um, have the right, you know, the right teams, the right mentality, the right ambition and vision. And then we come in with the finance, with technical assistance to work together on joint projects, whether or not it is new infrastructure, whether or not it's new recovery systems, whether or not it's engaging with informal economies in informal waste working communities in these uh, locations uh, on joint projects that create and uh, a quantifiable, tangible, additional impact on the environment. Um, and that's really the crucial piece here is that principle of additionality, where every piece of plastic that repurpose finances and enables the removal of from the environment is a piece of plastic that would have otherwise stayed in the environment. And that's very important because we know how limited philanthropic capital, how limited sustainability capital, even today, with this global zeitgeist and this, you know, kind of momentum towards it, it's still very limited, the actual dollars that go in towards environmental causes. And our mission here, back to our early days of where we started, is to make sure that every dollar that we deploy on the ground is creating maximum amount of impacts in the world. And that's really the philosophy from which we operate, Anthony. So you're taking plastic out of the environment and then what you what can you do with it? Can you convert all of it into a form where it can actually be reused, recycled into new products? Surely some plastics are yeah. not possible, uh, not not able to be to be recycled. 
Yeah, definitely. And that's really the, you know, back to the original, uh, a few minutes ago, we we're discussing about redesign, right, where we recognize the importance of eliminating unnecessary plastic items, lots of polymer types, like polystyrene, like PVC, like, you know, certain elements like MLP, multi-layer packaging, chips, your chips wrappers, your chocolate wrappers, right, your candy stuff, your delivery uh, DoorDash delivery packaging, right? None of that stuff is as recyclable, is technically recyclable, but it's not practically recyclable at all, right? So I think, you know, the the, the real focus uh, on those pieces of plastic, it's it's really it's really all hands on deck situation. We've got to reduce uh, those those unnecessary plastic waste streams, um, uh, but at the same time, also you know, recognizing the fact that that will take decades, right, to unwind supply chains and you know, it, just in the next five minutes, uh, six million pounds of plastic is being produced. It will be will be generated, and over ninety percent of that is going to be wasted. Most of which headed to the environment. So, you know, it, this is something that is a, the clock is ticking, um, and we know that we've got to handle it from both the upstream perspective as well as the downstream perspective. Um, but to answer your question, um, you know, uh, what do we actually do with the plastic? Whatever the plas- whatever plastic that is recyclable we send it into recycling end destinations and we've got complete traceability to make sure that happens. Uh, Third-party verification, uh, you know, internal technology enabled verifications, tracking, right? So making sure that the plastic recyclable is recyclable. So that may, that can be made into, you know, things like uh, waste streams like PET or HDPE, right? Can be turned into pellets that can be used for, you know, new materials uh, into the circular economy. Um, and other materials that are not as recyclable, um, you know, we have multiple end destinations for it. But regardless of what end destinations that we end up uh, sending uh, the materials to, we have a no landfill, no incineration policy at repurpose, right? Because we don't believe in destinations, uh, you know, those are very low in the waste management hierarchy, right? But at the same time, you can't recycle it. So what do you do? Um, in a couple of projects, uh, so an example here in Bogota in Colombia, actually, um, you know, we engage uh, with uh, uh, an organization called ARB, uh, Association of Recyclers Bogota, uh, one of the oldest, actually the oldest uh, union of waste pickers, waste picker union in Latin America, uh, thousands of waste pickers that are associated with them. Um, and we're, we work with them to, uh, you know, collect and incentivize the collection and the processing of low value materials like candy wrappers and chocolate wrappers and these kind of, you know, uh, sort of really bad plastic, uh, quote unquote, um, and we convert them into eco bricks. Um, so replacing the need for, uh, you know, bricks and construction material and using those eco bricks, plastic eco bricks, uh, using it for public utilities like park benches, bus stops, parks, uh, but also affordable housing. Uh, uh, for waste workers and uh, and other members of the community uh, uh, in that fashion as well, right? So that's one example of how we use low value plastic. In some other projects, we use it for road construction. Um, it, of course, there's always downsides, right? You know, there's microplastic and there's other issues. You know, no solution is perfect because we know that. I mean, non-recyclable plastic is not perfect. Um, but um, you know, so various end destinations um, to make sure that. The plastic is recovered, if not recycled, because they're not recyclable. So these non-recyclable plastics are used as a filler in, in, in building blocks and things like that. Is that is that the way you deal with it? 
building blocks and you know road construction, but also as an energy source as well. Uh, when we uh, work with uh, so cement and the cement production, cement industry is actually one of the world's hidden polluters, right? Accounts for over, I believe, eight yeah. to nine percent of our CO2. CO2 emissions, like nobody knows about it. Uh, it's, it's, you know, really interesting, actually, how, uh, right, it's almost as, as much as aviation, right, how much aviation. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, and, um, you know, so here, coal production is, uh, you know, sorry, rather you can say the usage of coal uh, is really the primary driver of that carbon emissions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and here we replace coal with low-value plastic in an energy recovery process that is different than waste energy, different than incineration. It's done at a much higher temperature in a clinker, um, in a pyrolysis process that basically, you know, uh, eliminates all of the harmful gases that it gets produced in a traditional waste energy process. But the benefit here is that the low value plastic that shouldn't have been produced in the first place, first of all, does not end up with the environment and second of all, replace a dirty source of energy like coal uh, with something that uh, that avoids the burning of something like black coal. Um, so you know, so that's another way in which we handle it. It's it technically it's called co-processing. Um, it's definitely not as good as recycling, but it's definitely better than waste energy and landfilling for sure. Um, so you know, but with that said, um, our focus is not just on low-value plastic. It's really about the creation of infrastructure. Because when we create waste management, waste collection facility systems on the ground, door-to-door -door collections, exactly to your point, going from the consumer's door all the way to the processing facility and further, what we're doing here is creating the necessary building blocks for the circular economy. Because when we handle, you know, we get we get compensated for the plastic credits that organizations compensate for us to deploy into the ground, but that plastic credit is having impacts on paper recycling e-waste recycling on composting because you know we're not just cherry picking when we go to the consumer's doorstep when our projects you know we're serving now millions of households now across the world that previously lacked access to basic waste management services when we provide them with that access it's not just hey give us the plastic it's give us all of your waste materials dry waste and wet waste and let us handle it from there and what we get compensated and the reason why we're able to do that is because of the plastic credits. So what's what's interesting here is that it's really beyond the particular credit. It's really about the ripple ecosystem effects that a credit can have on the local economy. Because what we're doing here is not just removing a low value, it's recycling, it's you know empowering waste workers with ethical wages and jobs and providing services, basic services to citizens um, that previously lacked access to it. That's very interesting. One of the major destinations of plastic pollution is sadly the oceans. Are you addressing that problem at all? Yeah, and uh, I think, um, you know, there's, it's definitely quite interesting. I, I've thought, I've reflected about it quite a bit inter internally, right? If you look at this rise of this ocean angle of plastic pollution, right? I think, you know, it really got started and we have to, we have David Atterborough, Sir David Atterborough to thank for that, right? We, we have, we have, um, you know, the, the, the image, the viral images of, you know, plastic straws stuck in turtles noses to thank for mm -hmm. the, the global momentum that plastic has gotten, the global attention that plastic pollution has gotten. 
Um, and that symbolism effect is very real, right? So you can look at that in similar ways. If you look at Greta, Greta Thunberg and others, that symbolism is important. But I think it's important to move past the symbolism as well, because I think what ends up happening is that folks that end up associating one very specific part of this very big and complicated issue that is plastic waste and waste overall and pollution at large um, with the oceans, right? And that ends up providing and creating an unbiased, sorry, what do you, you know, more kind of undue bias, right, on the very, very, you know, end of the downstream of the waste management, you know, supply chain, right? So and the reason, you know, to, to, to illustrate the importance of having scientific focus on solving the plastic problem in a longitudinal capacity, just take the cost, the average cost of recovering one ton of plastic from the environment. To recover one ton of plastic that is bound for the oceans, which is our modus operandi, which is working mostly in coastal, vulnerable coastal regions wherever we operate. So for example, in Ghana, it's Accra, in, in Kenya, it's Mombasa, in, um, you know, in India, it's Goa, Kerala, on the co coastal regions and cities. Um, we're creating the infrastructure to capture the plastic before it ends up in the environment, in the ocean. It costs about $500 per ton of plastic to do that. Um, now to remove the same plastic from the ocean, just two, three kilometers even offshore of the locations that we operate in, it will cost more than $50,000 per ton of plastic, right? So it's a hundred X difference uh, between the cost to recover plastic bound for the oceans versus recovering plastic that is already in the oceans. So I think it's important, it's, imp it's important because I think it's, um, you know, it, it puts things in perspective when there's already limited resources and capital available for solving these very dire crises that we have in our hands today, um, that I think we put our attention in the right places in upstream, in redesign and reduction, but also in recovering plastic bound for the oceans. And, but, you know, I guess to, to answer your question, I think we have a very clear impact on the oceans, but we don't just directly fish plastic away from the ocean or in the ocean, right? It's much more about prevention and creating that ocean plastic prevention infrastructure as opposed to the ocean plastic fishing infrastructure. Right. Now, you're a relatively new organization and relatively small in the face of an enormous problem. How do you see your organization growing over the next few years? And how far do you think you're going to be able to make a significant difference to this problem. Yeah, and uh, again, another very difficult uh, question. Something that uh, you know, in the face of a lot of uh, negative, overall negative kind of, you know, there's just all this doom and gloom. That's you know, there's so much problems that are everywhere. To be honest, is kind of hard to find the optimism to to keep going, uh, to keep growing the cause, definitely. But I think. Um, we find solace in the speed in which we've grown so far, right? You know, in the past, we've launched essentially um, open to open for the world, right? About uh, less than three years ago, a little bit less than three years ago. So, uh, in uh, we founded in 2016, but uh, really started operations um, in early 2020. Um, and just in the past, uh, in the past less than two and a half years, we've engaged now over close to 300 global brands and companies, um, you know, uh, to, to, to help to, to, as a part of our coalition to solve this problem. And we're removing about 6,000 tons of plastic from the environment every single year at this point in time. 
Um, and, uh, you know, so, so I think, you know, we, we are about to, I think I repurpose, uh, also have grown the organization quite a bit. We're about 60 people full time. Um, you know, so, so I think we find that there's the momentum is there, right? The, the tension is there. You know, the motivation is there. Companies want to solve this problem. Companies want to remove the legacy waste that we already created in the environment. Um, but I think for us to really change the paradigm, because we will keep growing in this capacity, doubling, tripling, even year on year. But the plastic production is also set to triple in the next two decades, right? Mm-hmm. So we are we're fighting an uphill battle here. So we need a real mentality change, to be honest, um, towards away from piecemeal solutions and piecemeal narratives into system, systematic solutions and systematic narratives. Um, so I'm, I'm comforted by some of the recent developments, for example, the United Nations, and we're engaging closely with the UN and uh, you know, other organizations associated with that as well. Um, so uh, maybe you've heard already about this, but you know, over 190 countries earlier in this year have adopted a resolution or rather have unanimously agreed to establish a legally binding treaty, a legally binding instrument to tackle plastic pollution. Um, and now the first intergovernmental negotiating committee meeting which is your, you know, uh, associated COP, COP series of COP meetings, right? So this is called INC, uh, this Paris Agreement for Plastic, you know, this quote unquote, what's being kind of the hope of this next um, iteration of our global fight against plastic pollution. Um, the first meeting is actually happening, you know, we're, we're taping this, uh, I believe in early November, uh, and it's happening in three weeks in Uruguay, uh, where governments are coming together uh, to solve this problem. And I'll actually, I'll be there as well, um, alongside many other civil society organizations who are tackling this problem. Um, and I think there's a lot of optimism for that process, but not just that particular process, but the symbolism of that process being integrating with policy, right? I think, you know, a lot of sort of private sector and philanthropic and social entrepreneurial players like Repurpose have proven the case, right? We're able to create impact on the ground. We have, we have created a track record for the amount of impact that we can create. I think now is the time to really integrate with, um, you know, integrate the institutions that can really bring these concepts into a much more mainstream adoption, right? So if you look at what's how the voluntary carbon credit market started and the push that it got from the Paris Accords and net zero commitments, right? So I think that's really where the next challenge lies, Anthony, to be honest, is where how can we take our existing capabilities and learnings and help global business executives, global policymakers, um, internationally and nationally to, uh, to integrate these solutions into their roadmaps. Peter, you've got a long way to go, but you've come a tremendous way in only three years. Before we close, I just want to ask you whether you've measured your carbon footprint, because you said to start with, from a plastic point of view, you've got to measure your plastic footprint before you can decide where you need to go. Uh, But at the same time, of course, every organisation, even an organisation like yours, has a carbon footprint. Um, Hopefully, Yours is a beneficial carbon footprint, but um, are, are you monitoring that at the same time? Yeah, I think uh, it, it's, a, it's a it's it's challenging for sure because you know it's uh, there's a lot of different ways of looking at Repurpose's own carbon footprint, right? Of course, we've got staff, we've got travel, right, and we do that because we need to grow the cause, and that's important. Uh, but we've also, of course, got a clear 
you know, recycling, it's, it, you know, if done wrong, uh, it can be net carbon positive, right? You know, and I think we take a lot of care to make sure that the recycling that we are doing is not adding to the problem uh, because it is recycling, it is an industrially intensive process, right? Um, um, so I think there's definitely a lot of, you know, there, there are definitely, you know, a certain amount of carbon footprint associated with that as well. But I think I have to be honest, Anthony, I think we really have been very focused so far on growing the cause, definitely. And I think, you know, we haven't, uh, you know, haven't tracked as much of our own carbon footprints yet. Um, but I think is it is, is is this at the right time to do so? And now we've sort of internally now starting the effort of actually understanding that. I think we understand what we do know, right? and this is the thing that we take care of in our protocols and standards. Uh, we've got a plastic credit protocol. We've got an impact code of conduct that governs every aspect of our operations on the ground. Our actual recovery and recycling and of of efforts in that regard is definitely net carbon negative, right? We, we're not polluting more carbon from the environment than we actually, you know, taking it out through uh, the, you know, because it has much higher carbon footprints when plastic is mismanaged as opposed to managed properly. Um, but, but I think where we want to do better, and admittedly we haven't done as much, is in tracking our, op, our internal operations, like, you know, our teams, our offices, our, you know, travel. And that I think is a pretty important piece definitely as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a piece that is growing and, uh, it's, it's challenging when, you know, we've been very kind of results oriented, uh, in growing, uh, growing the organization. Uh, but now I think, you know, it's clear to us now that as the company is, as the organization and the, you know, both business and the nonprofit fronts of repurpose is growing pretty quickly that we have stakeholders of our own now, right? It's not just, we're not helping others address their own stakeholder, uh, you know, to to sort of work with their stakeholders, but we've got uh, clear interest in uh, in our own operations and keen eye uh, on our own work. And I think, uh, you know, uh, which is a good thing. I think overall, it's a good challenge, a good problem to have, uh, but we want to do better. Well, Peter, thank you for all that. There's a lot more about your operation on the website, repurpose.global. But for now, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and ideas with the Sustainable Futures Report. Thank you, Anthony. It was a great conversation and uh, looking forward to uh, chatting more. And so I bring 2022 to an end for the Sustainable Futures Report. It's been quite a long journey, as you will have gathered from last week's review of the year. Thank you for listening and thank you all for staying loyal for so long to the Sustainable Futures Report. Particular thanks, of course, to my patrons, who pay a small amount each month towards the costs of running this podcast, and so help me to keep it independent and ad-free. Given that the season for your New Year's resolutions is coming up, what about becoming a patron of the Sustainable Futures Report for 2023 if you're not already? Just a thought. You may have noticed that the report has changed recently insofar as every episode has been an interview. I'll let you into a secret. I'm actually taking some time off over Christmas and the New Year and therefore have recorded some of these episodes in advance. I hope you'll forgive me and that you'll enjoy what I've prepared. You'll hear much more of me and my thoughts and opinions from the 8th of February onwards. 
In the meantime, I will be monitoring emails, and although you may not get a prompt response, please be sure that I always welcome your thoughts, questions and ideas, and I'll do my best to answer them. Yes, Ian Jarvis, Jane White and Carol Dance, I haven't forgotten. It only remains for me to wish you a very happy new year when it comes, and I look forward to your company in 2023. I'm Anthony Day. That was episode number 442, the final episode of the Sustainable Futures Report for 2022. Until next year.